September 14th is Missing Persons Day in Idaho. This year, She's Missing is teaming up with the Happy Palette Shirt Company to really show support for this special day. We have created a commemorative shirt in honor of the missing, not just in Idaho, but everywhere. It's not just a shirt. It's a statement of support. Wear it proudly on September 14th, share a selfie on social media, and let's spread awareness together. If you want to make an even bigger impact, alongside your selfie, share information about a missing person from your area. Together, we can create a digital bulletin board of hope and remembrance. Our mission is to shed light on this significant day and stand united in remembering the missing and looking for the lost. You never know, your post might connect the missing piece that brings answers to a family desperately searching for a loved one. Let's make September 14th a day to remember, a day to make a difference. Join us, wear your shirt, and let's shine a spotlight on those who need our voices the most. And because the Happy Palette wanted to make sure this shirt is accessible to as many people as possible, you will receive 40% off your missing person shirt by entering missing at checkout. This coupon also works with all regularly priced t-shirts at thehappypalette.com. That is the happy, H-A-P-P-Y, palette, P-A-L-L-E-T.com. This September 14th will not just be any other day. It will be a day to bring awareness and show the families of the missing that they are not forgotten. Imagine yourself driving down a quiet country road. You cross a moderately busy four-lane highway at a diagonal. Now on your left, there's a narrow stretch of farmer's field separating you from the highway. On the right side of the road, a row of houses enters your view. Some of these houses are close to the road, while others are set back just a little bit. They all have spacious lots with outbuildings and a few scattered farm animals adding to the country scene. If you happen to glance over to the houses at just the right moment, you might catch sight of a short gravel lane nestled between two houses. But to truly notice it, you would have to slow way down and take a closer look. As the gravel lane splits at the end, it leads to two individual houses hidden behind trees and set apart from each other by about 50 yards. Unless you knew what you were looking for, these two homes would remain hidden down the lane, easily missed as you drive by. It's in one of these two houses at the end of that lane where Megan endured her captivity, secluded from neighbors and barely visible from the road. However, this is also where she broke free. This is She's Missing. This podcast discusses criminal behavior, kidnapping, sexual assault, and adult themes. While not explicit, listener discretion is advised. We ask that if you know Megan or her family, that you continue to help protect her identity. Let's begin by hearing from Misty, Daryl's secretary, starting from the moment she received the call from Megan, which was around three in the afternoon. 
and I pick up the phone and it is Megan. And I just hear this voice, Misty, it's Megan. Oh, we've been looking for you. I just remember her comment. I knew they would. And she said, can you come and get me? And she seemed so calm. <laughs> I was looking back on it, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. Where are you? And I just, I remember kind of like panicking and grabbing up. She's like, well, she says to me, um, I have, I have the address. I ha- can I give you the address? And I'm thinking, yeah. Like at the time I wasn't thinking it was weird. I was just like, yeah, where are you? And I think I started even believing, oh, did she go off with these boys? Like she had some house and stuck something not going, go, didn't go well. Anyway, so she gives me the address and she says the name, like the name of the guy. But I did, at the time I didn't know and I didn't even think to ask. I just thought, oh, that must be one of the, the boys. <laughs> so I write it all down and I had this thought to ask her, oddly, are you across the highway? And she said, yes. And I'm like, okay, I will be there. And she's like, okay. We, I just, we just both hang up and I'm grabbing my keys and I'm not even really thinking twice, but I mean, at the time I did not have a smartphone. I had a flip phone. I think I don't even remember. It was an old, old time, old phone. I did not know where I was going. No way to get the address, no way to search it, no way to, um, it's not like I was going to pull out a map. I just had no clue what to do. So I get in the car and I kind of realize I stop in the middle of the road and I'm noticing, oh my gosh, I asked her, are you across the highway? And she said, yes. But if, but then for the first time I'm realizing, but if I go left, there's a highway. If I go right, there's a highway. So I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm realizing this. So I'm like, I, I'll just start calling 911. They'll tell me if I give them the address. And I need to, at the time, I remember thinking, I need to let somebody know that she called, that she, um, I know that somebody knows where she's at. And so I'm calling 911 and I just immediately start telling him, hey, this girl's been missing. She called. This is the address. Can you tell me where this is at? And and so when I give him the address, they were like, ma'am, do not go there. And I'm like, oh, screw you. And I remember like yelling at him. I'm going there. And later I had talked to somebody and they're like, yeah, we heard your, oh, I think her dad told me. I heard the police report. You were yelling at that person on the phone. And I'm like, oh, that's because they tell me I couldn't go there. And I was going there. And uh, anyway, I get up to the stop sign and I'm, I just knew to go left and in my head I'm thinking this is so weird it's like I like this day is just so strange and I so I just went left and I go across the highway and I'm kind of just like looking at these houses and thinking okay this is the address I'm looking at the numbers well he had taken the guy that took her took the numbers off the house and so of course I didn't find it so I just pass it I ran to the neighbor's yard had a, a couple cars out front. I kind of stayed back behind their cars just in case he pulled in the driveway. And at that moment, um, as I was kind of running up to those cars, I saw Misty drive by and she just flew past the house. And my heart just sunk because I'm like, oh, no, that's my way out. Like, you went the wrong way. I thought about it. I'm like, nope, it's fine. Just take a breath. They know where you're at. Like, it's okay. And I kept going up the road, but I still, in my mind, am thinking, I could totally be in the wrong place. I don't know where, like, where this is at. She could be in the middle of Idaho Falls. And, but I just, it was weird because I, like, had this feeling of, I know where I'm at. I, like, I'm where I'm supposed to be, but I, but I, it's like I was fighting it. But I really don't. But maybe it could be over here. What if I'm in the wrong spot? (laughs) So I was not trusting it. But by then, I hung up on the police 
And so I just started calling her dad, thinking, I'll call him. Nobody answers. So I'm, I'm still panicking. I get to the end of this road, and I'm kind of stopped at the stop sign, and I'm thinking, I don't know what to do. And I call my own dad. He doesn't answer. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, do I? And I instantly turn around. And, I'm kind of, and I, at the time, I was kind of fighting it. I was like, I don't, I don't know if I should turn around. I'm just backtracking. So I just turned around, just trusted it. And was like, okay, turning around. So she, of course, went down the road a little bit. And I saw her flip around. So I turn around by then. I'm like, call her dad again. So I call him again. And this time, a woman answers the phone. And I'm thinking, or I'm just, I just start yelling dad's name get him on the phone and this lady is yelling at me and I'm thinking did a neighbor person just pick up this phone why is she yelling at me I didn't even hear what she was saying or the words that were being said and I just said look just get him on the phone and pretty soon I hear him get to the phone I'm like Daryl it's Misty and I happened to look up and just before I said I have her I look over and here comes Megan and I slam on the brakes because somebody's running from a bush and to towards my car. So as she was headed back that direction, I debated about it, but I just ran out into the middle of the road so that she would see me. And because I was paranoid again that he would be right there, but it was fine. I ran out into the road. I slam on the brakes and I'm like, oh my gosh, that is Megan. And she, I just remember seeing this chain Big, the biggest chain I've ever seen wrapped around her waist she was holding like shoes I think they were like or slider shoes or something but socks were stuck to the bottom I just remember I don't know it's so, such a weird thing to look at but I was thinking what in the world like these socks were stuck to the bottom because they were muddy and um I couldn't get over like she's in her pajamas and she just runs to the car and by then I'm like I have her and I just yell to him I have her I fl- fly open the door and he by then he knows who he's talking to he knew he knew it was me but I flew open the door and she jumps in and I just hold her I jumped in the car and I did so good the whole time until that moment. And I'm sitting there just holding her. And I'm like, I have your dad on the phone. Talk to him. And so I give her the phone. And she hands the phone to me. And he just says, Megan, where have you been? And he's so stern, like, just like a dad. And I just told him, I'm like, Dad, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'll tell you when I get home. Like, I'm coming home. Just, it's okay. And he's where have you been? Like, we've been looking everywhere for you. And I just said, it's fine. I'm on my way home. I will tell you when I get there, but I'm fine. And I just start, I'm just bawling. And he starts bawling. And he just said, Megan, I love you. And I just said, Dad, I just, I love you too. I'm coming home. When Daryl picked up the phone to talk to Megan, he was surrounded by reporters. Because of this, I am able to share with you part of Daryl's side of this conversation. It begins with their neighbor, Isla, calling out that Megan had made contact. Then you will hear Gina crying as she runs to Daryl to give him the phone. He talks to Misty for a few seconds, and then the video stops and picks up again at the end of his conversation with Megan. 
One newspaper article describes the moment that wasn't caught on film by saying that when Daryl was reassured that Megan was okay, he dropped to his knees and began to cry. This bit of audio is obviously not the complete conversation, but it gives you a glimpse into this tender moment. Where is she? I love you, honey. I love you. Come, come. We're just here at the house. We just want to see you, okay? Are you okay? Have Misty bring you Okay. Have Misty bring you home, okay, honey? Right around the same time as this miraculous phone call, the deputies are busy receiving updates from dispatch following their brief conversation with Misty. Deputy Stosich, who was on the receiving end of this particular update, will explain the law enforcement perspective in these moments following the phone call. We received a, a call from dispatch saying that Megan had been, been found and that the secretary at uh, Megan's father's business had, had picked her up. There's a bit of relief in the moment but still so much is unknown for the police, family, and friends. However, for Misty, this becomes a time for clarity. Um, hangs it up and she just starts pouring out all the stuff that uh, happened through the night. Starts telling me the story from the very beginning. And I just broke down and started telling her everything. I just, uh, yeah, I lost it. So at that point, we're headed back. She's crying too. We're both just bawling. She says he puts me on this bike and he's trying to confuse me where where we're at or where we're going. And she that night she had wore her contacts and she's like, I just remember I'd always take my contacts out, but that night I had my contacts in. And she's like, he could. I was super confused where we were up until I seen the billboard with the temple and the temple was lit up. And I remember I remember stopping her and going, really? Like, your dad's been calling people for months trying to get that fixed. It hasn't been let up for you know, like months, if not a year. And um, that night it was. And she's like, I just knew where I was and that the shop was right there and that you would be there when, um, when I needed to. She's like, I just knew I just needed to call. It's like she just had it planned in her head the whole time. I will get free and I will call and she will be there. And we're almost to my house at this point and I remember and there was one house right before ours and they had all these big trees. You could never see ours until we passed this one house. And right as we got up to it, this helicopter comes flying up out of those trees. And I remember thinking like, oh my goodness, what is going on? And there was people everywhere and just the roads were just lined with cars. And as Missy pulled into our driveway, I remember her like honking her horn and just trying to get people to move. It was like just parting a sea because there were so many people. By the time we got there, like she had told me the whole story and we, she was just like, whoa, <laughs> I've never, all both of us were like, oh my gosh. Um, it seemed like the whole town was out there because there was just cars um, lining the road and um, they had to have people move their cars so we could get through even police cars. But we just pulled in and I pulled all the way right up to the front door. And I immediately just started scanning for my mom and my dad. Like, I just wanted to find them. And all of a sudden I find my dad and I we 
I jump out of the car and I just ran to him and we just hugged and I just broke down and just cried. While everyone is relieved to have Megan home, there are still a lot of unanswered questions for the police. Here is Deputy Stosich again. We still didn't know exactly what had occurred. We didn't know whether she was at a friend's house um, or where she was picked up. At the time that she came back to the, the residence, she got out of the car, and at that point, I was within a close proximity of her, and we could see that uh, that she had indeed been been taken and bound. She had a chain around her waist, still, and marks that I could see on her on her wrists. And then my mom comes out, and she gives me a big hug, and then they realize. I've still got this chain like dangling from my waist. And my mom, of course, just goes hysterical. In the midst of the chaos of Megan's return, the news managed to capture this pivotal moment on video. It's a scene that from an outside perspective paints a bittersweet picture. You witness a mother filled with a fierce protective instinct holding her daughter close, tucked under her arm. As they make their way toward the family home, it's a beautiful and touching sight. But then something catches Gina's attention and her gaze shifts downward. She notices a chain that had been partially concealed beneath Megan's long dare t-shirt. In that instant, everything changes. You can practically feel the weight of realization dawning on Gina's face as she comprehends the horrors her daughter must have endured. It's a heart-wrenching moment, one that hits close to home for any mother who watches it. Gina pauses, reaching down to pick up the chain. Her eyes lock with Megan's, and it's just a silent exchange of understanding, an unspoken acknowledgement of the pain Megan has suffered. And then, without hesitation, Gina drops the chain, pulls Megan into a hug filled with love and strength an unwavering determination to shield her daughter from any further harm. And together, they turn and walk towards their house and out of the view of the cameras. We escorted her quickly into the house, and the reunion between her, her father and her mother was a sweet reunion. And at that point, we were able to sit down with the detectives and visit with her a, a little bit about what had taken place. So we go in the house, law enforcement's there. They start questioning me what happened. I tell them, I give them the name, the address, and they immediately like radio off. They asked his name and when his name was said, they just started looking at each other. When the the guy that took her, they started looking at each other and, and that's when we all realized. And I remember her dad saying, what, what, like what, what's like all of a sudden there's this weird buzz with them and they said, well, um, he he has been the prime suspect for taking Ember Hoops. And um, we, I can't believe, they just looked at me, I can't believe he even went there. And I'm like, well, he wasn't there. <laughs> and I went there. And um, so, yeah, the police or the dispatch person tried telling me that. <laughs> and uh, they started to, they were asking her the story and she forgot this. She for, It was kind of a weird moment. I think that's when they were saying that like, she's probably going into shock. Like she could finally let down and she started to forget 
things and when they were talking to her and um so I ended up kind of finishing telling them this is what she told me like this is kind of some of the stuff that she said and I think at that time then they like yeah we need to get her to the hospital I get rushed to the hospital to get checked out and at this point like I'm pretty good like I think I'm just in shock probably like I can't believe this just happened it's just like a bad dream that I woke up from at that point um I didn't uh, wasn't involved in a lot of the interviewing at that point that was turned over to the detectives and it, after she had um been taken to the hospital I went to the the sheriff's office to to begin my initial report after Deputy Sosich leaves, the word spreads to Megan's family, friends, and concerned neighbors quickly that she has been found. For her friend Whitney, the anxiously awaited news came after what felt like an eternity. When I got a call from my parents saying that they found her, she's home, and um, we'll come get you in a little bit. Um, I just remember when my mom came home, she said that my dad and her had taken off work and they were coming out to go and help look for Megan. And when they got there, she had arrived just as they had gotten there. And um, like I said, we were supposed to go camping that weekend. And my mom says she ran up to her and gave her a big hug and was crying and was just saying, I'm so sorry, I ruined our camping trip. And my mom was like, are you kidding me? Don't even worry about that. We're just so glad that you're okay. And she just, re I remember her describing the way Megan looked and um, just holding her in her arms and the peace that she felt that she was there. And it's crazy. You just don't think something like that could happen um, to anyone that you care about or even close to you, especially and we grew up in the country. There's just not a lot around, not a lot to do. And so you wouldn't think you think that you're safe out there and everybody that is out there knows who you are. They know what's going on in your life. And it's just, it's just kind of crazy that something like that can happen. At the tender age of 14, Whitney understood what Megan had likely endured and the significance of the chain around her waist. Similarly, their friend Kara had her own experience of discovering what had happened to Megan. Kara's mom, deeply concerned and not completely sure where she ended up after talking with the police, tracked her down to their friend Amber's house. It was there that Kara had learned that Megan had been found. I do remember my mom having to kind of track me down because, uh, like I said, I went with her grandfather. And my younger sister actually told my mom that I got in the car with a man with a mustache. So that was, you know probably really cool for my mom but <laughs> uh yes yeah, so my mom kind of tracked us down and uh and, and yeah so we heard outside the fact that she had been found and was coming back so I remember Whitney I remember specifically her mom um stopping by our house after um we had gone back to our house um um and they stopped at my house and Whitney's mom gave my mom a hug. And I remember registering that that seemed weird because they weren't necessarily friends themselves. And, and I was kind of like, oh, it's random. Um, but that was when 
she was the one who then told my mom that Megan had been raped and kind of let my mom then tell me and, and explain more what happened. It was as if in this single day, the innocence of our entire community was shattered. That night, conversations started among parents and children, attempting to grapple with a topic that no parent ever wants to discuss, all while feeling profound sadness that Megan had to endure such a horrific experience. When detectives discovered that Keith Hescock was the man responsible for taking Megan, it was chilling. He had been one of the main suspects in the disappearance of Amber Hoops and was known to possess numerous guns. Additionally, they knew he worked for Mac Tools, driving a large box truck, delivering tools and parts. The lead detective at the time, Kevin Cox, recalls these details and shares his perspective on the matter. We were notified shortly um, that we believed that uh, uh, Keith Hescock was the person who had taken her. Um, Keith has been on our, been known to us um, from a prior case with uh, Amber Hoops. Through Megan, we were advised that he had, had, she thought he'd gone to work. Contacted Matco Tools or dispatch contacted Matco, uh, and uh, the supervisor at Matco um, told us that uh, they had had tools on order for uh, the Ford dealership in Blackfoot, and that uh, Keith Hescock had called in to be sick that day, and he was told, "If you don't go to work, and you fail to take those." Uh, tools down to Blackfoot, you're fired. You don't have a choice. And so at which point um, he loaded up and left. Um, at that point, Megan had been restrained. But she was able to break free. I don't know how. Um, and get out of the residence and call for a ride and make it home. We contacted the Ford store in Blackfoot and they advised that Keith had been there and delivered the parts. Um, so the detectives continued to gather information at the hospital. We activated SWAT. We stationed SWAT out to uh, Keith's house and myself and a couple other detectives were out there hidden and we waited. This podcast was produced by me, Emily. Be sure to stay tuned until the end to hear a preview of our next episode. While the timeline may not be exact, the facts of this case are laid out as close as the memories of those involved allowed. You can find additional information on our website, she'smissingpodcast.com. She's Missing is a Search Party Media production. If you have any information about the disappearance of Amber Hoops, please contact Bonneville County Sheriff's Office by calling 208-529-1200 or by going to ifcrime.org. 
So I got back in my car, my family kind of uh, followed me. We went right back to the shop because we were like, we're there, that's where the police are heading. They're heading to his house. And so we went back to the shop and we stood in the very back. The police surrounded his home and they kind of tried to hide. We kept thinking, this is so strange. Like he's going to see this. And sure enough, here comes the tool truck coming up the road and he goes to turn into his home. He sees him, turns out, and you can see the truck just take off down the road and police just started chasing him. 